Wilder Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. This morning, we are going to be continuing a sermon series we began a couple weeks ago called The New Power. All throughout 2021, we've been walking through uh, Paul's letter that he writes to his friends in Galatia. And as he writes this letter to them, he, he lets them know about the new that Jesus has normalized, the new covenant, the new way that he has made for humans like you and me to interact with the God who created us. And a couple of weeks ago, we began the, the third series that we have had in Galatians this year as we've looked at chapter 5 to see the new power that is available to us in this new way that God has given us His Holy Spirit to empower us to live the life that He has called us to live. That's why this way is truly new, because the indwelling Holy Spirit inside each of us is something that is unique to those of us living in this era meaning the era after the resurrection of Jesus. And so we've been looking at Galatians chapter 5 to see both the freedom and the power that the Spirit provides in our lives. And we're going to be in the third part of that series today as we're going to look at just three verses in chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. But before we look at those verses together, I want to just think for a moment about Christian camps and retreats. Now, we often think of Christian camps and retreats as something that happens for young people, children or students. But in reality, even adults get to go on Christian camps and retreats. Maybe it's a family camp that you've gone to, or maybe it was a men's retreat or a women's retreat. But just out of curiosity, how many of you, young and old in the room right now, have attended or taken part in some kind of a Christian camp or retreat? How many? Wow, nearly everybody in the room. And if not, come back the next several weeks, you'll probably hear about one that you can go to. So you too could raise your hand in a moment like that. But camps and retreats are, are, are wonderful things because if you think about our lives like a soundboard, you know, back, Tim is at the back running our sound today and he always does a great job with that. But on a soundboard, there are a number of different knobs and a number of different switches and levers. And He's able to turn the volume up on certain things so that we can hear it while he turns the volume down on others. And when we go away on a camp or a retreat, really it's an opportunity for us to turn down the volume on a number of other things in our lives so that the volume of the gospel might be increased so that we might hear and process it a little more. And God has used this over time in so many people's lives. My guess is with all the hands that went up, Camps and retreats have been used by God in your life at some point as well. But here's the challenge. You don't live on a camp or a retreat, do you? At some point, you came back. You know why I know that? Because you're here right now. You didn't stay there. You came down off of the mountain. And when you came down, you came down fired up. Because if you made a decision to follow Christ, if you made a decision to renew your relationship with him, you came back from that camp, you came back from that retreat, fired up and ready to go. You might have changed the presets on your radio station to K-Love all the way across. You might have had daily devotions every morning. You might have made decisions to get involved in a small group or whatever it might be. 
the sad reality is that as time goes on, oftentimes our commitments that we make at camps and retreats begin to grow cold. We begin to, 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 to wander or to drift away. Why is that? And how does it square with what the Scripture says about the Christian life? Well, friends, today we're going to look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And in these three verses, he's going to describe the dynamic of the Christian life that makes that kind of a drift possible, but also declares the hope that we have to turn around and to once again head in an empowered direction following Christ. We're going to see that today as we look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. I want to read these verses for us, and then we'll make a couple of observations from these verses together. Again, Paul writes to his friends in Galatia, and this is what he says. He says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, in these three verses, we're going to see two things today. Well, what are those things? The first thing we're going to see is this. There is a battle inside every Christian. There's a battle inside every Christian. Now, with any kind of a battle, there are at least two sides. So, who are the two sides of this battle that exists inside every Christian. And this is a battle that exists inside of every Christian, whether you are five years old or whether you are 55 or whether you are 105. If you are on this planet and you are taking breath and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this battle and these two sides reside within you. Well, who are those sides? Well, chapter 5, verse 17 tells us, one side is the side of the flesh, and the other side is the side of the Spirit. Now, the flesh and the Spirit here are, are attached to another word that's very important, and that is the word desires. So inside of us, there is a flesh, and inside of us, there is a Spirit, and they both have desires. They both have desires that are competing, desires that are at battle with one another, desires that are headed in the exact opposite direction. Now, who are these things? Who is the flesh and who is the spirit? Well, the flesh is that part of us that we have inherited, as we talked about last week, all the way back from Adam. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, Sin entered the human condition, and it's been passed down from generation to generation so that it is inside of us. The flesh is this thing that we have inherited that has this propensity to seek our own selfish desires. It's the thing within us that pushes us and propels us towards sinfulness. Now, we don't just have that fleshly desire. We also have the desire of the Spirit. We've seen also in this series that by Spirit here, we are talking about the Holy Spirit. 
that which God has placed inside of us in a sustaining and an empowering and an indwelling kind of a way. God has given us his spirit to empower us to live the life that he has called us to live. So that as we think about this moment in time, inside of us, there is both a flesh that desires to do what we want to do, and the Spirit of God that desires to glorify God and to bring Him honor and glory. Think about this in terms of maybe a graph. If you're a graph person, this might help you a little bit. The flesh and the Spirit. The flesh is in all people, right? Everyone who is alive has a flesh. We see this in places like Romans chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, where it talks about how the flesh is something inherited, a sinfulness that is inherited going all the way back to Adam in the garden. And it's a part of us. It's a part of all people, regardless of your spiritual condition. There's a flesh inside of us. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, says that all of us have this desire to go astray. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from this flesh that is inside of not some, but all people. But the Spirit, on the other hand, is not inside all people. The Holy Spirit is inside all Christians. So the Holy Spirit does not reside in the heart of every person that you meet. If you find someone who is following a different religion... That person does not have the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. If you find someone who has not placed their faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit is not inside of them. The Holy Spirit can impact them. The Holy Spirit can move them from the outside. But the Holy Spirit has not come to reside inside of their hearts and lives. And this is something that we see in places like Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, where it talks about if we are in Christ, then the Spirit is in us. End of story. And in places like Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, where we looked at last week, that the Spirit comes to reside within us at the moment of our belief. And so all Christians have both a flesh and a spirit. If, we're, if you talk to someone that doesn't know Christ, they only have the flesh. This doesn't mean they don't have some kind of a, a soul. I don't mean that at all. I just mean that the Holy Spirit has not come to reside on the inside of their life. This is something that is only available for Christians. The flesh exists to gratify the self, whereas the Spirit exists to glorify God. And so, left to ourselves, without Jesus, without a relationship with Him, all we have is the flesh, and we don't have the influence of the Spirit. But if we know Christ, this battle wages inside of us where we have both of these. We've seen this a little bit in cartoons, haven't we? I think they're trying to tap into a little bit of that where Sylvester the cat will have a a little person on one shoulder and another on the other and they are arguing back and forth about what someone should do. You get a, a little bit of that influence with this battle that wages inside of us. And when we think of the flesh being something that has desires with it. Let me give you an illustration that that maybe will help you understand this. I I went to the grocery store yesterday afternoon and went in and I I grabbed my groceries and sometimes that's an enjoyable experience. I can tell you yesterday it wasn't for me. 
And so I felt like my life force was draining out of me as I walked around the store, right? It just slow drain. And I'm gathering the things that we need. I make it to the end, and I, I, I think, I just want to get out of here as soon as possible. So I, I go over to the self-checkout lane, because I think this is the way to get out of here the fastest. And I scan the items, and I place them in the cart, and I walk outside. And if you were outside yesterday in the 5 o'clock range, it's like 8,000 degrees outside. And so if I was down to 40% life force, I'm at like 20% by the time I get to the car. And I begin to take the groceries out of my basket and set them in my trunk. And then I look and I see it. The deodorant that I wanted to buy, I had placed in the cart and I had not scanned it. But I had made it outside of the store. Now in that moment, the flesh inside of me begins to elevate its desires. It becomes the defense attorney for why I need to keep the deodorant and not go back in and pay for it. Things like, you know what? I bet it's, they'd just give it to you if you went back in there. You know, you ought, to just, you ought to just take it. Look, God gave you, Mark, this gift of this $4 bottle of deodorant. You ought to just accept it with a thankful heart and go home and use it to the glory of God. I even thought, no, I'm just going to leave it in the cart in the parking lot, and we'll let somebody else deal with this problem. Where did all of those ideas come from? They came from someplace. I'll tell you where they came from. They came from my flesh that had one agenda, to gratify myself. And then with that agenda began to mobilize every piece of information around me to make this compelling case for why I needed to steal a $4 bottle of deodorant. Now, thankfully, I was preaching this message today. And so in that moment, I was able to identify what was happening. And I walked back inside and I paid for that $4 bottle of deodorant. Um, But all of us live a life And as we live out that life, we're surrounded by all of these opportunities to gratify ourselves. And on the inside of us, there's a part of us that is going to take all of the information around us and try to make the most compelling case for why sin is what we ought to do. This is why it's a battle. Because there is something inside of us that wants to gratify only us. And yet at the same time, if we know Christ, there is someone inside of us who wants to take every opportunity around us as an opportunity for us to glorify God. Even something as stupid and silly as a $4 bottle of deodorant becomes an opportunity to express integrity about who my God is. Because the good people at Crest might never have known that I walked out with that bottle of deodorant. But you know who would have known? The God who sees all. So I go back in and I pay for it. And that's just one small illustration of so many areas of our lives where there is a battle that wages inside of us between a flesh and and the spirit, between our flesh, which we share in common with all people that desires to gratify only ourselves and the Holy Spirit of God that resides within us if we know Christ and wants to empower us to live a life that is glorifying to God. And so this creates a situation for the Christian 
See, the Christian life then is unique. It's unique in that we have this new life with access to a new power, but it's lived out at this old address of our flesh. See, if we didn't know Christ, we would just have selfish desires at this old address. Now, we might do benevolent things from time to time, but we would we would be living life according to an old identity with access only to what we could muster up ourselves. But if we know Christ, we've been given a new power and a new life that we live out at this new address. And so inside the Christian, there are fights and there are battles that don't exist in the lives of those who don't know Christ. And so if you know Jesus and you feel this fight from time to time, know that it is because there's a battle that wages inside of you between the flesh and the spirit. Why is it that you come home and you struggle? Because guess what came home from camp with you? Not only the spirit, but also the flesh. Now, it's possible when we begin to talk this way that we can begin to get really pessimistic. And so before I I tell you some more bad news, I want to just share one ray of hope and good news. And that is that this isn't a fair fight, right? The one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. Jesus said this in, in, in John 16, 33. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In the, in the context, he's talking about a number of things, but in chapter 16 of John, he's talking also about the Holy Spirit. And so I think it's an appropriate application for us to remember that when we think about the resource that is available to us in the Spirit of God, it is absolutely sufficient and powerful enough, enough to help us overcome the flesh. But at the same time, we need to remember that the battle really does exist. And it exists inside of all of us. Now, when we think about the desires of the flesh, I, I want to just go back now and, and, and zoom in a little bit more about the flesh uh, for each of us. And it's impact on our lives. A number of people have tried to help flesh out this desire of the flesh a little more for us so that we can understand it. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, when we are guarding against foes without, we must not forget to be continually on our watchtower against the foe of foes within. Spurgeon was reminding us of what we see here in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. It's not just, every, every challenge we face is not just Satan on the outside of us. And every challenge we face is not just that darn corrupt world system out there. But there are challenges we face on the inside of us because each of us also has a flesh. Each of us also has an attorney inside of us that is wanting to gather all the information around us and convince us that up is down and down is up if it benefits us in some way. And so we need to be on our guard that there's a part of us that is just broken. One day, when we go to be with God in glory, that flesh will be done away with. But until that day, we will struggle with a part of us that is simply broken. Augustine makes this comment. He says, Lord, deliver me from that evil man myself. He 
Friends, we need to remember that there is no isolation that we can do from the challenge of us. If we get away from all people, guess who's still there? You. And inside of you is a part of you that desires to gratify only yourself. Knowing this reality exists ought to really help us make sense of a lot of what happens in the world. You know, in the world around us, bad things happen. People do terrible things. People make decisions that impact you, impact you negatively. People do things that isn't glorifying to God. And when that happens, oftentimes people will make comments like, well, where did that come from? The next time you think that, just point back to this moment and look back to this passage and remember, oh, that's why. Because there's a flesh inside of every person. And it helps us make sense of these things. If there's a a flesh inside of every person, that means that there's a flesh inside of all the people inside of every school. Even if it's a Christian school. Even if it's a home school. There's a flesh inside of the participants of that school. If there's a flesh inside of every person, that means there's a, a flesh inside of the leaders of every organization, including every church, including every Bible-believing church, including every evangelical church. There's a flesh that exists in the leaders of those organizations as well. And if this is the case, then we know that there's a flesh that exists inside of every other human dynamic, inside of every family, inside of, 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 of every friend group, even in the lives of those you love, even in the lives of your sweet little children. There's a flesh that exists inside of them. Now, when I say all of that, again, this, this sounds really depressing, and we're going to get to the good news in just a moment, but I, I just want to remind us of this reality, because if we forget that there's a flesh that still exists in the lives of people, then we won't ever deal with it. If, if we forget that, that there's a battle that is inside of every Christian, then we will drop our guard and think that Christians have no ability to make really bad decisions, including us, because we're Christians. No, no, no. It's possible for all of us because there's a battle that wages inside of each of us, and we need to remember that. And when we remember that, we will behave in a, in a different kind of a way. Paul said to his friends in Rome, in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, he says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He says, When it comes to your life, do not make a provision for the flesh. Knowing that it exists, don't feed it. Don't set opportunities for it. That would be dumb. Again, I'll give you an example of this. We, we have a dog. And I don't think I've used very many dog illustrations. Some of you have known me for a long time. You remember our other dog, and I would talk about him a lot. That was before we had kids, right? Then we have different illustrations now, all that kind of stuff. But we have a dog, and this dog is this little beagle, um, and he is adorable, but he is a mess. Um, And here's the thing with this little beagle. Before we let our beagle in our house, you know what we do? We put the airlock on. We put gates in front of the hallway. We go around and we pick up all of the food that might be within mouth reach. 
Uh, we, we, we go through and we make sure there's no open cans of soda or glasses of water on tables. We, we go through and, and make sure that the door to this area is closed so that we know where this dog is going to be. Now, now, why do we do that? You might say, because you have a bad dog. And I'm like, great, I'm glad you have a perfect dog. We have our dog, okay? Um, but why do we do that? Why do we do all of those things with the dog? Well, it's because we realize that dog is an animal. And so we do not create an opportunity for the desires of that dog to destroy our lives to take root. Friends, when we remember that we have a flesh inside of us, we behave differently because we don't want to leave all of the temptations out in our lives so that we can easily grab them and chew them up. When we realize that we have a flesh, that means that we realize that it's not wise to be on the internet at certain hours unattended. We realize that we have a flesh. We, we understand that it's appropriate to have parameters and guidelines in our dating relationships. When we understand that we have a flesh, we, we understand that we're not going to get together with that group of friends for lunch if it always turns to gossip and chatter and backstabbing. You see, when we understand that there's a flesh, we know that there are certain situations and certain environments that will appeal to us because there is something inside of us that wants to make an argument that sin is right. So let's not live a life where we give any provision for that. We can set some boundaries. We can set some guidelines. There's a battle that exists inside of us, and it's that battle between the Spirit and the flesh. Now, that is the bad news section of this message. But there is some great news in this passage as well. And that great news has to do with the greatness of the Holy Spirit. Now, we see that in the second part of this passage where we talk about how there is victorious power that is available to every Christian. There is victorious power that is available to every Christian. Remember, if we are in Christ, then all Christians have the Holy Spirit that has come to reside within us in a permanent way, and that Holy Spirit is a spirit that will desires to lead us to glorify God and to victory. Now, what do we, what do we see about that in these verses? Well, I first want to look at verse 18. Because in verse 18, he says this. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law that we are led by the Spirit. Now, I, I love this, this statement, that we are led by the Spirit, because it reminds us that the Spirit desires to guide us someplace, not to leave us in the middle of a battle with no defense and no idea what to do. But God actually desires to lead us out of the battle to lead us in the direction of honoring him in the midst of the battle. This is what God desires to do for us through the Holy Spirit. And let's remember that the Holy Spirit is not just some, you know, nondescript power, but he's actually the third person of the Trinity. He is God himself. So he has personality and intent and emotion and love. And God dedicates all of that to lead us in this life, through the battles that we experience. Now, when we think about this, we think about being led by the Spirit. Let's, let's walk through a number of the, the characteristics of the Spirit. 
First of all, when we are led by the Spirit, we are led by a Spirit that is powerful. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit that leads us is a Spirit that is powerful, more powerful than anything else in this world. So we are led by one who is powerful. But if we are led by the Spirit, we also need to remember that we are led by one who is wise, who is all wise. John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus says of the Spirit, he says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. The Spirit of God being God himself knows all things and is able to guide us into all truth. The Spirit of God has the power to do that and has the wisdom to do that. At times in our lives, we are led by people who have power but no wisdom, or wisdom and no power. But when it comes to God, we have someone who leads us who is both wise and powerful. But even beyond those things, guess what else the Spirit of God is? The Spirit of God is loving. He loves us. Romans chapter 8 is a chapter about the Holy Spirit. number of different times there are references to the Spirit. But at the end of chapter 8, there's these, these, these phrases and words that we read responsibly at the beginning of our time in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39 that talk about how there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so we have leading us, friends, one who is powerful and wise and loving. Can I get an amen to that? That is why this is good news. Yes, we have a flesh, but we also have a spirit that is wise and powerful and loving inside of us that wants to guide us and lead us into a life that is glorifying to God. That is why we have hope. Now, when he talks about this spirit that is, that is leading us, he talks about how we respond to that and interact with that through this, this little phrase about walking by the spirit. In verse 16, we are to walk by the Spirit. Now, I want to just unpack that phrase a little bit more. The the first phrase here is the phrase walk. We are to walk. What is the, the, the Christian life like? It is like a walk. Now, a walk is something that requires our action. It is not something that is totally passive. There's no way for me to walk out of here today without being personally involved. It doesn't say be carried out. It says walk out. So this is something that involves our participation. It involves our activity. This helps us understand why throughout the rest of the New Testament, there are a number of other commands for Christians to do, things that God desires us to do. If, if it was just us being carried along, then there would be no need for our activity. But he says that the Christian life is a walk. It involves our participation. John MacArthur says this of this phrase. He says, if human will and actions did not play a direct and an aggressive part in the Christian life, the New Testament would contain only this one instruction for believers, walk by the Spirit. Every other command would be superfluous. You see... We need to engage in this life. 
God has given us his spirit, but he desires us to walk, to get involved, to make decisions. Now, when we talk about walking, walking is something also that happens slowly over time, right? It's not teleport there. It's walk there. And so this is, again, the challenge that we have with our summer camp experience. We come back from camp and we want to just beam ourselves to the next location when God wants us to walk there. He wants us to take steps every day in obedience to Him. And so the Christian life is a walk. Walks also have direction. They're going someplace. And so we are to to take effort and energy and make decisions day by day and moment by moment to move in the direction of honoring God with our lives. But we are to do all of that by the Spirit, in dependence upon the Spirit. That's what we're to do. We're to make these decisions and to walk in these steps while relying on the Spirit's power. This is something that is helpful for us because at times we will think and say, well, I can't. I can't walk away from that temptation. I can't love that person as the Scripture calls me to do it. I can't share my faith with them. I don't have all the answers. I can't, I can't, I can't. That's what we do. But when we begin to think that way, we are discounting to our detriment the gift that God has placed within us. That gift is His Holy Spirit that wants to empower us as we walk, that we would walk by the Spirit. And when we walk by the Spirit, I love what it says there. It says, when we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When we walk consistent with the provision of the power of the Holy Spirit, we will not give in to the desires of our flesh. It's not a fair fight. You know, OU is going to play Western Carolina this fall. Odds makers look at that game and say that Oklahoma is a 63-point favorite. They might make a statement like this. If OU plays as they can play in that game, then they will in no way lose to Western Carolina. This passage, in that language, if we walk in dependence upon the Holy Spirit, we will in no way live out the desires of our flesh. God has given us this kind of a gift. He has given us this kind of power. And so, some questions for us as we wrap this up. A few questions to ask. The first question I want to ask you is this. Who's leading you? Who is leading you? Again, inside of you, there is both the flesh and the spirit. Who is leading you, your flesh or the spirit? Is is the one who is leading you, the one who is organizing the information in your life so that you can process it, is it you? Is it what makes sense to you or is it the Holy Spirit of God? Is it ultimately trying to glorify you and gratify your desires or to glorify God? It's a question for us to ask, knowing that that opportunity exists. Who is leading you? Second question to ask you as you process this, where are you walking? 
This really helps us answer the question, who's leading you? Who is leading you? Well, you might go, I don't know. Then the next question would be, well, well, where are you headed? What's the, the general tenor of the decisions that you're making in your life? Where are you walking? And it's possible if you answer that second question and say, well, I'm kind of headed in, in this direction that I don't think is in the direction that God wants me to go. Then maybe you need to stop and turn and follow the Spirit's lead instead. And the third question I would ask you is this, do you have the Spirit? Again, the fight that brings us victory is found when we know Christ as our Savior. And if we know Christ as our Savior, then He has given His Spirit to reside within us. But if we don't know Christ, then we don't have the Spirit. And so if you're here today and you would like to get in the fight, because you are just getting beat up by the flesh and you're not loving the, the product of that in your life and, and you want a different way and you want the Jesus way, know that that can begin by just trusting in Christ in this moment. And if you do that, then the Spirit will empower you to live the life that we have been called to. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for just this great truth, these, these great words in your Scripture here. We pray that we would be a people who would walk according to the resources of the Spirit and that we would do so to your glory and to your honor. We pray now that you would help us to live in light of that hope every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.